freeze. One last freeze. I'm like, problem is I don't have blackberries to find out when, when this is coming. So, uh, anyway, do you have blackberries? Well, that, that'll work. Just let me know. Take a picture when they come up and send it to me so I can get ready for to go to Florida or something. The Lord calls us. I'm sure it's, it's you know, we go where the Spirit listeth, right? We don't always know. <clears throat> and weirdly enough, the Spirit seems to call when the weather gets bad, right? And uh, the life of an evangelist, right? Boy, yeah, the Lord's really calling us down to, the, down to Bermuda. <laughs> so, anyway, I was talking to a, a man the other day, about a couple months ago, preacher's meeting, and uh, he, was, he had been in... Jamaica or Bermuda? Maybe it was Bermuda. And I said, oh man, he had been a missionary there and his parents were, and I think I told you this, but I said, wow, when, when, did, when did you get to when did, that island, whichever one it was? He said like 1670 or something like that. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh yeah, it was a British colony. And uh, his, he had generations, generations on one of those awesome islands. And uh, pretty, that would be a, that'd be a blessing. Maybe, I don't know, maybe not. All right, <clears throat> where are we? First Samuel, Second Samuel. Let's go to Second Samuel chapter number 5. Second Samuel chapter number 5. We've been looking at the life of David. We've been looking at uh, journeys, uh, the journey of our life, the path of our life, how God allows things. Uh, they're always never to us, but they're for us. Therefore, as somebody has said it this way, therefore our good and for His glory that God allows into our life. <clears throat> and it's easy to get down and discouraged and in the dumps when things aren't going well. But maybe through this study, uh, the Holy Spirit now will help us to stop and go, well, maybe this isn't being done to us. Maybe God has another purpose for this. And we could look expectantly to see uh, how God will use the things He allows in our life. We saw in the life of David, he had a great trial. First thing we noticed about his, his life, uh, what, why, why, was, why did he have this trial? Well, his father-in-law wasn't too happy with him, right? And it all came down to a little song that he, David, like I said, David didn't write it. He didn't hand out the, the, the music sheet to all the ladies when they came back from war. When they said, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands, right? And uh, he didn't write it out, but boy, his father-in-law didn't like that. And Saul didn't like it. And so he starts picking up this weird, uh, this, this, this really um, <clears throat> strange um, tendency he starts having uh, of chucking spears at him, right? And uh, being angry at him. And, and to the point that David finally had to leave the place, right? He had to get out of there, and uh, he was able to escape. He was able to have a little bit of rest, but, but boy, it was a constant moving, a constant getting out of, of the way of Saul, a constant trying to stay alive. And what a weird place that would be to live, huh? I mean, it's one thing to have in-law problems. It's another thing when you know they're hunting you down to kill you, right? That's, that's bad in-law problems. And so David had some great... Uh, trials in his life. It was 
not because of his doing, but well, it was kind of because of his doing, because he had a he was a man after God's own heart, and he just wanted to serve God, and he just wanted to serve uh, Saul the king, who was also his father-in-law. He just wanted to serve, right? And what a great pattern that is for us today. And that's that's actually Sunday morning. I'm, I'll give you a little uh, heads up here for the morning for the morning service. That's the topic this morning is on being a servant, and it's what's missing today. And you'll notice the people that God uses. They're great, great servants of Him. They're just servants of other people. They weren't self-centered and self-absorbed. They were they were servants. He had a great trial, but we're going to see here a great temptation. Right when he put aside servanthood. David put aside being a servant, and for, for this period of his life, he sought to be served. And it ended in tragedy, and we know what, what's going on here, right? And so, uh, here we are, uh, King Saul has been killed in battle, Jonathan has been killed in the same battle, and David has come up to be king now, and... Uh, He's brought, even to the point now he's brought, and he used to reign from Hebron. He brought everybody together. He moved the throne to Jerusalem, and everything is going well. He's winning battles. Uh, Israel is getting stronger. David is, is a wise man. He's a godly man. Uh, the people enjoy following him. He leads Israel in godliness. I mean, it's, everything is going very, very well and, uh, because David just wanted to serve God. Now, in, in, if you notice this, uh, over in 2 Samuel chapter 5, look at verse 3. His greatest ambition really was not to be king, but was to be used of God. Well, that, that's a great thing for us, isn't it? Do you know you don't have to be a pastor to be used of God? You don't have to be a missionary to be used of God? You don't have to be an evangelist, however they misdefine that. I said, however, they misdefine that. You don't have to be an evangelist to be used of God. You don't have to be, hey, you don't have to have a title to be used of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You can be a servant of God right where God has planted you. And so this is what David's heart was. Look at verse 3. So all the elders of Israel came to, king, to the king to Hebron, to King David. And, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign and he reigned uh, 40 years. And we see here the children of Israel, they still had a lot of enemies to defeat, right? A lot of battles to fight. And it was David who led, his, who led the people uh, really as he followed God. He, he led Israel. And God gave him victory. And this is what happens uh, when you see it. Hey, listen, if you find your play, yourself losing battles that you should be winning, there's another problem. The loss of battles isn't the, isn't the indication of the issue, right? It isn't the issue in itself. The, lo- the losing of battles is, is, the, uh, is the canary in the mine, right? It's telling you there's something wrong here. We, why? Because we're, if, if we're right with God and living with a heart for God, we're winning battles. doesn't mean that we don't have battles. No, battles are still coming. But we're winning battles. And battles of the flesh, battles of temptation, you know, all sorts of battles that come into our life. And uh, David was winning battles. He was, he, the children of Israel were winning battles. Look at chapter, second chapter, uh, second Samuel. Look at over in chapter 11. I want to show you this. They're winning battles, they're moving forward, they're growing stronger. David has a heart for God. But look at verse 1 through 5 of chapter 11. The whole tenor changes. 
Something changes and it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide, even tide, evening tide, sorry, that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived... And sent and told David and said, I am with child. What on earth? Right? I mean, David, a man after God's own heart. And David, when every time he could have retaliated against Saul, he said, oh no, this is the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. But something happened when now he's touched another man's wife. What has happened? I mean, this is an incredible thing. The lapse in David's life is incredible. Notice it starts out, it was the time, uh, and it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab. Look at the end of that verse. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it was every year, it's kind of weird, we don't understand this, but generally at the end of the harvest, right, there's another place in David's king, it says at the end of the harvest, they rose up to play meaning they got up to go war and battle against each other. And this is that Middle Eastern culture of that day. Some things haven't changed over there. But uh, when the harvest was over and there's nothing else to do, well, I guess we'll go uh, fight wars and kill people. So they'd get their armies together and they'd go out and, and take care of their enemies, right? And uh, because, uh, you know, all their other, they got their chores done. Your chores are done. Now you can go, go war, right? Uh, what, a, what a weird life, huh? And so... Uh, and so here they are, but David, the king, always led the people out. He was the king. He was the head warrior. He was the one who led them. He, David was a mighty man of valor, the Bible says, and a great warrior. But at this point in David's life, for some reason, we don't know why, but for some reason, he stayed home. And he shouldn't have. He shouldn't have stayed home. You know, there's times when we, uh, when we uh, take rest when we shouldn't. There's times when we take our ease when we shouldn't. A lot of the times, watch this, the, the times we have to be the most careful in our life is really when things are going well. Those are the times when our guard goes down the most. Those are the times when we think, uh, you know, there's, things are really well. I don't need to battle this right now. Right? Does anybody have a besetting sin that you know? It's not maybe something that's running over in your life, but you know... If anything's going to get me, that thing can get me. It can get me. Everybody has one. It's different, right? And there can be times in your life when it's out there. It hasn't been bothering you. It hasn't been a problem. It's something you're not dealing with. Maybe it's something you haven't dealt with in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, right? And, uh, but maybe there's times when it would be good to go out to battle and, and take note of that and spend some time on it. And you think, well, everything's going good, right? I'll just take my ease. And boy, here, here, comes, some, here comes an enemy. Here comes the enemy. David should have gone. He should have gone out, but he tarried at Jerusalem. This is what Matthew Henry says. Idleness gives great advantage to the tempter. 
Standing waters gather filth. The bed of the sloth often proves the bed of lust. Matthew Henry wrote that in the mid-1700s. I like that. Standing waters gather filth. Now, it is not a Bible verse. The Bible does not say that the uh, idle hands are a devil's workshop. Okay, That's not in the Bible. But the principle is very true. It is very true. Idleness. Idleness. This is, this is some of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. This was some of the sin of Israel through its existence. Great idleness. And it's not good for us to be idle. Not at all. Notice the stages of this in David's life. You've heard this over and again. Most of you in this class, in the Sunday school class, or have been around the Bible for a few years. And you've, you know what, the, what this, uh, this process is here in David's life. Number one, you saw, saw here, it said he looked came to pass at the evening tide that he rose up off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. That might not have been a problem. You ever can't sleep? Right? Sometimes Miss Sherry will have way too much coffee and I'll say, well, I'm going to bed. I don't know what you're going to do between now and when I get up, but I'll see you in the morning. (laughs) Right? And who knows? I might wake up and there's a bathtub still full of water and, and things out that, you know, Dishes are done and something's crocheted and, you know, the cars are washed and, you know, the dog's all looking. I mean, who knows? I don't know what goes on. But sometimes you just can't sleep, right? And you get up and you go walk. Obviously, I don't know what the reason is, but David couldn't sleep. The Bible doesn't tell us, so don't pour into anything we don't know in there. That doesn't help because that's not the point. The point is, he was somewhat minding his own business, like a lot of us do in life, right? We're just going along, minding our own business, and something comes in front of us. Something comes, whether it is something you have read, or something that's driving down the road, or something you see at a store, or whatever it might be, a thought, or whatever it could be, comes to us, and that wasn't even the problem. The issue wasn't the, 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 the look. The issue was, he obviously, he stayed there. Right. Let me say this also. It wasn't the problem of her taking a bath. That was normal. They had walls around their property. Most people couldn't see, and she wasn't from, from all the, the the Bible does not uh, pose any. Uh, the, God doesn't pose too much a problem with what she was doing right here. People took baths outside, and their big walls. I, I've. It, it was weird. We were in Jerusalem one time, and we we're up on this upper area. And here you are, you're looking down into people's backyards around the walls of of Jerusalem, the big walls. So you're walking up here. I I mean, I can see it. And here we are. We're just, we found ourselves, a bunch of us lined up. And it was fascinating. We're just sitting down here looking. And all of a sudden you realize you're looking in somebody's backyard. I mean, it's a little cement. It's not, it's it's a quarter of the size of this build, of this room here, right? But that's their backyard. And they've got their clothes lined up out there and all these things and their toys for the kids and this and that. But if you got down at their level, it's a big wall and they can't see out. But somebody can look down and see it. She wasn't doing anything wrong. She was doing what was normal. No, he went, right? Minding his own business, caught his eye and he's, and he looked and he stayed there. It wasn't the look that was the problem. It was the lust that followed. Right? Well, how did he lust? Well, he didn't look away. <laughs> he looked and then he kept looking. And then it turned into lust. The, hey, listen, the look may not be the, uh, the sin. Sometimes things come into your eye gate. There's nothing you can do about it. Right? Men, there's nothing you can do about much of what walks around in our culture anymore. It's unbelievable. Right? Your sin 
is staying there or looking again and going back. That's where the sin comes in, right? And we, I'm not even dealing with them. the world doesn't know what they're doing, the way they're dressing, right? You can't go and blame them all the time, right? You have your own responsibility. Absolutely you do. And so, but the, the long look turned into a lust for David. Look at verse 3 and 4. David sent and inquired after the woman and one said, is not, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? It was evening tide. Maybe it was a little dark. He couldn't quite tell who it was. I don't know. It was later. The walls were high. Maybe he couldn't tell. Right? All he could tell was just all what he could tell was enough. And he was, his lust was going uh, rampant. Do you realize Bathsheba's grandfather is David's priest? They grew up together. You can go with that for a long way if you want to think that through. He, no, listen, he, he, this wasn't some mere stranger on the, on the street here. Yeah. At the, hmm. See, this gets people start screaming bloody murder at you, but I'll say it anyway. She lost a child too, you know. Yeah. And I'll let you think that through. The reason God isn't really dealing with Bathsheba because David is completely complicit and wrong and it was up to him as the king and as the man of God and and as somebody who should be living a godly life, it was 100% his fault. God put all of the blame on him. Yeah, absolutely. And so look what happens. It's, It's unbelievable. That David sent messengers and went beyond that. Well, go get her and tell her to come here. Right. I wonder if his messengers were like, what? Right. Do you do realize in David's life people have challenged him and he didn't cut their heads off? You do realize after this event when, when, uh, was it, uh, when, when the man, oh, I forgot his name, was chucking rocks at David and saying all sorts of bad things. Job's like, do you want me to go take his head off? He says, no, maybe God told him to say that. No, David was a godly man, right? And he made a horrendous decision here. His lust overtook him. I think at any time, any time as a servant could have said, uh, Sir, this is wicked. Yep. And others could have said that too. <laughs> but uh, it was his fault. You know, so many times, listen to what this one person said, Christians often want to retreat from the spiritual battle and the war that rages, forgetting they will always, they will always find us. The battle always finds us. So they went on to say, it's better to be weary in the battle than to become apathetic, lazy, and caught off guard. It's better to be tired of fighting and keep fighting than it is to be caught off guard because I'm just too tired to fight. 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter talks about it. He knows well of this. When he said, be sober, be vigilant, your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking to whom he may devour. Satan does not stop. He doesn't stop. He will not. Remember in the, gar- in the, in the, in the wilderness when he was tempting Jesus, that 40 days and 40 nights, uh, Jesus was done uh, fasting. Satan came to him at his weakest point humanly, and he began to tempt him. And as he resisted every temptation with the Word of God, what did Satan do? The Bible says he left him. For how long? Anybody remember what it says? That's right, for a season. 
Oh, he came back. He came back. Listen to me. Whatever it is that you battle, it's never going to be over. Ever. 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 Ever in this life. Wait, you saying I can't get victory? No, that's not what I'm saying. No, you can have great victory. And you can live in victory. And it's a wonderful thing to live in victory. But I'm telling you, you better be careful about your complacency. Yeah. Satan knows us better than we know ourselves. He's been studying the human race for 6,000 years. He knows everything about you. Yeah. And here is David. It, it, was his, it was his lust, right? It was his look. It didn't stop there. It went to his lust. And then uh, thirdly, we see here his pride. His pride. Pride and deceit. What did he do? He ended up attempting to hide his sin. He sent a, he sent a, um, a, a message to, you know, to go get her. And then later... Later, a message came to him. I'm with child. So what does David do in his pride? Instead of make everything right, instead of saying, oh boy, I can't believe it. I can't believe I did this. Right? And begin to make everything right? No, what did he do? He went and got, called Joab back and said, oh yeah, oh yeah, how's the war going? Oh good, good, awesome, wonderful. Oh, by the way, ah, when you see Uriah, would you go ahead and just put him up front there in the worst part of the battle? You know? Pretty amazing. I mean, this is David. <laughs> yeah. Second Samuel chapter 11, look at our text. Look at verse 15. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that you may be spitten and die. And it come to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew the valiant men were. He knew... He can't survive this. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. This is really heavy. It actually is. We don't know what Bathsheba's relationship was like with her husband. (laughs) But that was her husband. Um, the family. The, I mean, I'm, you think about everything that brought up to the time of their marriage, and the and I mean, I know the families that were they're arranged and things like that. The, other marriages are arranged, but it was still. It's like this was a family that God has ordained. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So he dies. They get a message back. Uh, message back from Uriah that Uriah was dead. Oh, good. So now I'll go marry Bathsheba. Did he really want to marry Bathsheba? Probably, maybe not. Right? I mean, I don't think that went into the, 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 that went into the equation much in those days about uh, whether somebody wanted to be married or not. Right? A lot of it was survival. But it just like, think about, just, oh yeah, we'll, we'll see. his messengers, they all knew about this. Send the messenger, tell Bathsheba, yeah. Your husband's dead. Okay, well, you've mourned. Okay, good. Now I'll marry you. Why? So he could cover it all up. So he could cover it all up. Wow. It's unbelievable. There's this man, there was a zookeeper. Uh, I've got it, read, read this just earlier. This guy, he was a former zookeeper, and he, he was talking about raccoons, and he said raccoons go through a glandular change about at about 24 months 
uh, at about 24 months of age. And after they go through this, this glandular change, they can attack their own owners. I mean, they're just, they're animals, right? They're just, they're animals. And uh, they said a 30-pound raccoon has the equivalent, is the, in a fight, is equivalent to about a 100-pound dog. They're vicious, and they're very strong. And this zookeeper had a, a, a young friend by the name of Julie, and Julie had a pet raccoon. And then he knew about this, and he said, well, he began to try to tell her. Now, let me tell you, at about two years old, 24 months, he's going to go through a glandular change, and he's going to turn into an animal. And you've got to be very careful with this. And Julie kind of smiled, and she said, oh, you know, thank you, but um, it'll be different with me. You know, my, this raccoon is always her pet. He likes me. He'll, he would never do that to me, right, like he's not an animal. And it was about three months later that Julie was having, after this, 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 her pet turned 24 months and it went through the change and everything, about three months later, she was undergoing plastic surgery for the lacerations all over her face. Yeah. 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 What did they do? Well, they had to release them into the wild. They had to get rid of them. What's the point of this? A lot of times sin comes dressed as this adorable little guy's, Right? And this little, and they're just cuddly and cute, and and uh, just you know not dangerous whatsoever. Yeah. But uh, you know what people say, right? Well, it'll be different for me. It'll be different for me. It won't bother me. That it doesn't bother me that way. Oh, that is not wisdom. That's pride. That's pride. Yeah. Notice David's losses. This is what comes from sin every time, doesn't it? Loss. He suffered a lot of personal loss. Look at verse 26 and 27. And when the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. To everybody on the outside except maybe his servants, Maybe everybody on the outside in the kingdom didn't know any of this. And it looked like, oh, what a hero. What a wonderful thing. Poor Bathsheba lost her husband in war, and our great king rescued him. Oh, no, God knew. God knew what he was doing, right? And he had a great losses. Listen to some of the losses. We know it. He lost an infant son. We know that. Amnon, his son, ends up raping his daughter, Tamar, uh, David's daughter, not Amnon's daughter. You can see that in 2 Samuel 13. Amnon then goes and kills, it gets killed by Absalom. Absalom gets killed by Joab. Amasa, David's nephew, was also then killed by Joab. God said, the sword is not going to depart from your home because of what you had done. It, and it was true. The turmoil that David brought into his home was absolutely incredible. 2 Samuel 12, verse 14, the Bible says, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasions to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Can I, think this is, can I tell you, I think this is one of the greatest tragedies, the greatest things, one of the biggest things that should, if I could use the word, scare us to death. Nathan said it here to David. You've given the enemies of God an occasion to blaspheme. 
you're a Christian, right? They love it. They love it. Now, I mean, we understand we're flesh. We tell them, you, and you might say, hey, you know, we're human. I mean, we still have a sin nature, and we still battle that, and we're going to, and, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we try not to, but it just, at times we sin. I mean, we understand that. The world doesn't understand that. And they just mock. And that's what Nathan said to David. You've given the enemies of God an occasion, an occasion to blaspheme. Yeah. You see, along our journeys of faith, we're going to have trials. We're going to have temptations. They are inevitable. They're inevitable. They're going to come. So if you're going to continue to advance in this journey, you've got to learn a pattern of fleeing and trusting. Trusting and fleeing. right? Trusting God when the trial comes. Fleeing when the temptation comes. And though David suffered immensely because of his sin, it doesn't, thankfully, it doesn't end in his life. It doesn't end with the sin. No, this is good news. I'm, I'm going to end good, okay? This is good news for all of us. His life didn't end with the sin. It could have. He could have just walked away into oblivion and somebody else could have become king and we'd have never heard another thing about him. Yeah. Because that happens to a lot of people. But it doesn't have to. What did David do? He suffered like you wouldn't believe. We'll see this here in the Psalms. He suffered. But you know what? God in His grace and His mercy brought somebody along to confront him of his sin. And he sent Nathan the prophet to expose David's sin. Right? So he comes and he tells this great little story about this poor man, and all that he has is one lamb. And this rich man, he has sheep all over the place. And I love... And Jesus does it as well. He tells stories, right? And, and, and he hits home, right? Whereas, notice what Nathan did. He brought up a story about sheep to this shepherd who, who loves sheep. And he, he, he put out this whole story here, right? And he said, this rich man, he's got all these sheep. And this one poor man has one little you that's like a child to him right, that he loves, and, a, and somebody comes along, a guest shows up at the rich man's house. What was the guest? Lust. Showed up at the rich man's house. And instead of going out and getting all the sheep that he had, remember he had, he had all the wives of, 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 of Saul. He had his own wife, right? If you want to look at it that way. He had, quote, sheep all over the place, if you want to stay with the story. He went over this poor little guy's house and took his. Mm. Makes you irritated, doesn't it? Yeah. And man, David's furious. <laughs> right? He is so angry. Look at verse 5, 2 Samuel 12, verse 5. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the, the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because, ooh, he had no pity. Oh, my word. He doesn't even know what he's, what he's getting built up for, does he? And what, what, did, what did Nathan say? 2 Samuel 12, verse 7, Thou art the man. It's you, Bubba. You did it. Hmm. Look what David says, verse 7. 
Thus say, uh, Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed the king over Israel. I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee my master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom. I gave thee the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover given unto thee such and such things. If you wanted more, David, I would have just given it to you. Why did you have to go and do this? Wow. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife. Listen to this. And hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. You killed one of the children of Israel with an enemy of God. Pretty rough, isn't it? I was telling Sherry the other day what a, what a last line this is, right? And has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. I wonder how many preachers in their apathy that don't warn the that don't warn the sheep, God's sheep, of the world, are actually killing them with the sword of Ammon. How many preachers that won't get up and preach against sin? And preach against worldliness and carnality and humanism and modernism. All they're really doing, watch, when they don't do that, they're just killing their people with the weapons of the enemy. Just They're getting sliced up by the world. God doesn't like that. Doesn't like it all. Didn't like it out of David. But notice this. Notice David's response. We're so aware of this. We, we know this. Uh, look at this confession, verse 13 and 14. It was so simple. Look what he said. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. That was it. He didn't say, but I did, but I mean, but what about, I mean, I, I mean, I really did. I mean, if this hadn't happened and that hadn't happened, if that had, I mean, he was going to die anyway because the guy wasn't really good with the sword. I mean, so actually maybe I helped him. I mean, no, listen, we go through all sorts of things to, to try to explain away our sin. And I think one of the greatest things that we can do when God can come in to heal, when we just look at God and say, I sinned, I sinned. I can't explain it away. I can't do anything about it. I sinned. Actually, you know what that reminds me of? Jesus. Remember the, the Pharisee and the publican, that sinner, right? And the, and the Pharisee said, I'm glad I, I, I fast twice a week and I do this and I pay tithes and I'm not like this publican, right? And Jesus said that publican came up and he smote his breast and he couldn't even look at turn his head up and he said, forgive me, Lord, a sinner. And Jesus said, that guy went down to his house justified. Oh, God loves a simple confession. No strings attached. I sinned. Look what Nathan said unto David. Look at the simple, simple response. The Lord hath put away thy sin, and thou shalt not die. Brings to mind 1 John 1, 9, does it not? If we confess our sin, and, and uh, if we confess our sin, and uh, he is faithful and just to cleanse us, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Confession. It doesn't even say, say Sorry. Because sometimes sorry isn't confession. What is confession? I'm wrong. You're right. Jesus said, I'll forgive that. I like that. Listen, to Nathan had exposed David's sin. 
And we see the broken heart of David over his sin. Look at Psalm 51. You don't need to turn there. Tell you what, we don't have time. I'll read it to you. Psalm 51, 3 and 4. He, David says, for I, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David said, I sinned. It's, I sinned against you. I sinned against you. That's where it begins. Listen, once you can clear up your sin against God, then you can go clear up your sin against fellow man. Right? Remember the prodigal when Jesus gave that illustration, that parable of the prodigal, and he came back and he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He took, he took care of both things. And here it is. I love this. Yeah. You don't find this in Islam. You don't find this in the cults of the world. God preserved David's life and continued his kingdom. He forgave him. Whew. David spake unto the Lord the words of the song, chapter 22 of Samuel, verses 1 through 4. David spake, the word of the, uh, spake unto the Lord the words of this song, and the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all of his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, the God of my rock, and him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And so shall I be saved from my enemies. Right. Triumph. David knew trial under Saul. He knew temptation under Bathsheba, but he knew triumph. Where did the triumph come? Under repentance. He, no. <laughs> we win with repentance. We get victory with repentance. We come out of these things, right? Listen, we're going we're gonna to be tempted. We're going to have things that are going to come. You're going to have failures. No, there's some things you may never fail at again. Praise the Lord. You ever hear those? They get saved. They say, I've never touched a drop of liquor since I got saved. Praise the Lord. Never touched a, never touched a cigarette or any tobacco since I got saved. Praise the Lord. Right? Never did this. There may be some things that I've, never, I've, I've not done since salvation. And I, I would never tell somebody, oh, don't. It'll, it'll come back. No, it may not. Praise the Lord. Right? But there's still always going to be temptation and sin. And what is going to set you apart as a man or a woman after God's own heart is that when the, when the trial comes and the temptation comes and failure comes, that repentance follows. Now, I will tell you this. We know this, don't we? We've seen it enough. Maybe we've seen it in our own life in certain measures, and you've definitely seen it out and about and watched the world and watched uh, uh, Christendom, per se, or even people in good churches, you've seen it. Right? Somebody said it this way. We, man chooses the sin and God chooses the consequence. Do you realize you have, no, you, know, you have no choice in the consequence of your sin? I have no choice in the consequence of my sin. God does. Yeah. And uh, David paid greatly. He paid greatly. And, uh, but because of his repentance, because of his heart, because he agreed with the Lord. Forgiveness came. God used him. God used him still. We still see the songs. 
I, lo I love that God used him in such a way that he got, we got to see the 51st Psalm and see the, the heart of David of repentance when it was broken. He said, my bones are broken. He said, I, he, he said like, I, I, I weep all the night through. I mean, it was just, it was devastating on him, right? I, hey, listen, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather see somebody with that attitude towards sin, it, they mess up once in a while and they have that attitude, than see somebody that never messes up, supposedly, and just have this attitude like, uh, nothing wrong with me, right? I'm, I'm pretty good. No. I love the heart of David that way. He paid for it. Family paid for it. But there was, God was still able to use them in a great way. And uh, what God, David was still a man after God's own heart. But watch this. His flesh was what, what, what got in the way. Yeah. God hated David's flesh. He loved David and David's heart, but he hated his flesh. Right. And uh, it's the same for you and I. We can have a heart after God, but listen, the, the lessons we should learn some 3,500 years later <laughs> right, is that we need to flee temptation. We need to flee those things. And... Uh, <clears throat> Whatever, whatever the temptation may be in somebody's life. Right? Not everybody's temptation is marked by David's temptation, obviously. Right? But uh, whatever it is, that we flee it. And if for some reason, in our pride and in our lust, right, we, we, we sin, we need to be immediately one to repent and triumph over it in repentance. That's how you win against it. <clears throat> Absolutely. God allows things on our journey, you know. Maybe you've been there, but know what you can do now. Maybe you've triumphed in repentance and you've had things in your life, choices you've made in your life. You've realized that wasn't of the Lord. <laughs> Boy. And you've looked at it and you've looked back and you repented. And God's given great grace and mercy and it's wonderful. But know what you do now? God brings somebody into your life. And you say, yeah, don't do this. Don't make that decision. That's not a good one to make. I've been there. Trust me, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. He's going to, he'll use you. He'll use you. Absolutely. Father, thank you today. And uh, we just ask you to bless your word this morning. And uh, Lord, that you'd use us. That we, the, the, the things that we're going through in our life, the, the trials, the temptations, all of the things that come into our life, that we might understand, uh, Lord, they're for our good, they're for your glory. And uh, you can use Lord, even, even where the canker hath eaten, Lord, you can restore and you can use us in a great way in somebody else's life. And I'll thank you for that. Thank you that there's, there's hope and forgiveness. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. we got to go. Oh, no. we got, ah, we got a lot of time.